Thank you, Reese. Uh, well, if you have that uh, open before you, please keep that open. Uh, and as we prepare to look at uh, this last part of Colossians, uh, let's pray that God speaks to us. Please pray with me. Lord, may you give us ears to hear your word, the hearts to receive it, and the will to put it into practice. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, the boys' high school uh, that my brother-in-law attended had, during his time there, a long-serving and much-beloved principal, Mr. West. He was a faithful Christian man. Many people spoke very highly of him. And by all accounts, Mr. West was a fine educator, uh, a very able administrator. But what made him so beloved was his investment in genuine, personal relationships with the school community. Famously, he knew everybody's name, everybody's name. All the boys at the school, their parents, their siblings who didn't attend the school, sometimes even grandparents or other family members. He remembered details about their lives, significant life events. And the people who knew Mr. West well, they testified that this was very much an, an organic outworking of his Christian faith. Because people matter to God, people matter to him. Because relationship matters to God, relationships mattered to him. And so everyone connected to the school knew that. As far as Mr. West was concerned, no one was too unimportant. No one was too peripheral. Everyone was worth getting to know personally. And as we get to the concluding section of Paul's letter to the Colossians, we see a very similar, very encouraging picture painted for us. And as this picture is painted by Paul, we're reminded of the great importance of investing in relationships for the sake of people. The great importance of investing in relationships for the sake of people. For the sake of people hearing the gospel of Jesus and for the sake of people growing in their faith in Jesus. And I think that investing in relationships, it can be challenging at the best of times. Sometimes we don't see the need to invest in relationships. After all, we have such great church programs. We have Sunday services and midweek stuff, kids club. The program will do the work, right? Or maybe we do see the need to invest in relationships, but we feel like we have to be like Mr. West, and we freak out that we can't do that. And so we don't invest in relationships. And that can be challenging at the best of times. It becomes all the more challenging, this relationship investment in our present circumstances, doesn't it? In a time of forced social distancing. So as we conclude Colossians, I think what we're compelled to reflect on is the relationships that God has given us. What are the relationships that God has given us? And how do we invest in them? Because when we understand that, it will be ultimately to God's glory and to our great benefit and the benefit of many people around us. So let's have a look. And we'll see there that the first relationship that God has given us is with, surprise, surprise, himself. And that's what the whole first half of the letter to the Colossians is all about. By faith, we are in Christ. And if we are in Christ, we are in relationship with God. It's a spiritual relationship. And it's personal. 
And one of the chief ways we invest in this unique spiritual relationship is by praying. Prayer can help us to express our delight in God. It gives voice to our trust in God as we we ask Him for provision, as we ask Him for guidance. It helps us to, to articulate our thankfulness. And so Paul says in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Prayer should be a regular feature of our spiritual lives. As Ricky just prayed, that God would press on our minds the need to meet daily with him. We need to persevere in us in it. Because it keeps us alert and thankful to what God is doing in our lives and the lives of those around us. It's a key way that we invest in our relationship with God. And it is through prayer that we are engaged in God's greatest cause, his most glorious cause, making Jesus Christ known. And that's the second relationship that Paul reminds the Colossians of in verses 3 to 6. It's the relationship they have with those who are outside the church. Look with me in verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the message to speak the mystery of the Messiah for which I am in prison so that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. We have a relationship with those outside the church and we invest in it firstly by praying for those God has called to preach the gospel as a full-time occupation. Ministers, if you will. Ministers like, like Mike and myself, and in the Colossians' circumstances, like Paul and his fellow imprisoned colleagues, praying that God would provide opportunities to preach Christ to those who don't know him. And, you know, in the usual course of business, that's relatively straightforward. We, we hold public church services that people can just attend. We run evangelistic courses that we can invite people to. We meet with people one-to-one and read the Bible with them. Or we can just walk up to people in a public place and start a conversation about Jesus. But of course, the question that even this passage of Colossians raises is, what about when you can't do those normal course of things? When you can't do it in the same way? When you can't do it as freely? That was Paul's situation, wasn't it? isolated under house arrest. He had operated a whole different way up to this point, free to travel around, speak to whomever about Jesus, start churches. Now, he's under house arrest. And though it's for very different reasons, the past few weeks, most of our ministers around Sydney and the world are presently having a not dissimilar experience to Paul in that way. We're restricted by circumstances. How can we... How can we have the doors open that we normally rely on? And yet many people have done what Paul calls the Colossians to do. Incidentally, what many sisters and brothers around the world have to live with each day, each week, in countries that that don't allow them to meet publicly. Praying earnestly that God would open doors for the message. And God is opening doors. God is opening doors. We were so encouraged looking at our our live stream last week that there were so many people who, who logged on to watch it who don't come to our church. Some of whom we know don't go to any church. That's a, that's a door that God has opened. And on Facebook just this past week, one minister shared this. 
He said, some encouragement from a guy who joined our online church last Sunday. He was very active throughout the service, asked questions, posted comments. And that minister is now friends with this guy on Facebook. And this is what the guy said to him after that. He said, I had vowed never to walk into a church again. Well, I can see that God has a sense of humor and has brought church to me. I'm feeling quite emotional that God did not give up on me. I can't believe it. We invest in our relationship with outsiders, firstly, by praying for those God has called to preach the message of Jesus as their vocation. And God is opening those doors. And we invest in our relationship with outsiders, perhaps unsurprisingly, by engaging them ourselves, whether we know them well or not. Have a look at at verse 5. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. We don't know why God has put all the people in our lives that he has, those who trust Jesus, those who don't. Mostly, mostly it's a gift. It's just a gift to enjoy that relationship for what it is. We're relational beings. What a blessing to have other people we can relate to. But it is also because God wants us to point the people in our lives to Jesus, and especially those who don't trust him, to point them to the even more profound relationship they can have with their creator. And so Paul says to the Colossians, act wisely toward outsiders. That means a few things. That means, that means make the most of what opportunities you have to share Christ. Time is short. You don't know when that opportunity may wind up. And that means, perhaps most challengingly, always be gracious in your speech. Always be gracious in your speech. Why is that? Well, because you're sharing the gospel of grace. If our way of sharing the message doesn't reflect that, then we may as well not speak at all. And I'm sure many of us have at one time or another found ourselves in an increasingly heated and combative discussion that turns into an argument with a non-Christian person. And it can happen in person. It happens all the time online. Graciousness is one of the first things jettisoned. And if you're the one who fails to speak graciously, the problem is you may win the argument. You may win the argument, but you will lose the person. You will lose the person. I think a good counterexample of this is when uh, John Dixon, the Christian minister and apologist, was on the ABC panel show Q&A a number of years ago. And I'd forgotten that he was appearing, so I wasn't watching the show. But near the end of its runtime, I received a text from a non-Christian friend that read, Christianity being well represented tonight. And so the next day, I watched iView, I watched the episode, and my friend was right. Christianity was well represented on Q&A. Not just because Dixon had good answers to, to things that were put to him, he did, but mostly because he was so gracious in his interaction. And Paul says our speech should always be gracious and seasoned with salt. It's a curious phrase, seasoned with salt. I think it means, most likely it means speech that's compelling. Make sure your speech is flavoured with conviction. 
the conviction that people noticed, the conviction of someone who knows Jesus as Lord and Saviour and who lives that out, who knows Jesus as Lord and Saviour and who lives that out. That's compelling. That's acting wisely in your relationship with outsiders. And so God has given us graciously, mercifully, a relationship with himself in Jesus. He has given us a relationship with those outside the Christian community to invest in. And last of all, Paul urges the Colossians to invest in their relationship with one another, with fellow believers. It's quite striking, this final section, isn't it? For all his focus on the message, and Paul always has such a focus on the message, the truth of the message, In this very letter, we have seen him have to combat, to some extent, false teaching about the truth of Jesus. But for all his focus on that, Paul never lost sight of the people. And we see this in uh, all the different people Paul mentions by name in this passage, 11 different people. We see this in the many greetings he communicates, greetings from himself, greetings from others. Six times he offers greetings. It's very personal. Now, this list of Paul's, it isn't his way of saying, you know, we need to do a Mr. West here. We need to remember every single person's name, although there is great value in that. As an aside, that's a significant reason why we do have name tags here at Minchabri Anglican Church. I know they're not everyone's cup of tea, but they do make remembering people's names that bit easier. But it's not primarily about that. It's, it's what Paul says here about these people and the Colossians and their relationship to one another. And certainly it's here we see that the relationships within the Christian community depart from our relationships with those outside the Christian community, meaningful as those relationships may be. Because as Christian believers, we're not just, we're not just fellow believers, you know, like, like signed up Western Sydney Wanderers supporters are fellow members. No, no, we're co-workers, Paul says. We're co-workers. We're we're colleagues working in partnership for the same goal, the same goal of making disciples of Jesus and helping grow disciples of Jesus to maturity. And that's how Paul describes the people he mentions, isn't it? He describes them as faithful servants and fellow slaves in the Lord. They've done things like bring news back and forth between Paul and the Colossians and other churches too, Laodicea, Hierapolis. They've done things like be a comfort to Paul in prison and be a comfort to the believers in Colossae. People like Epaphras, the one that God used to bring the gospel to the Colossians in the first place. Who, what does he say? He works hard for you as well as for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis who is always contending for the Colossians in his prayer. He's praying with with devotion, isn't he? Praying with perseverance for the Colossians and their situation, for the Colossians and their maturity, just as Paul had encouraged the Colossians at the very beginning of this section to do. We're co-workers. But actually, we are even more than co-workers. We're connected in a way that's even more profound because in Christ, we share a spiritual relationship. We're family. You see there, Paul using family language. He speaks of fellow believers as dearly loved, as brothers in the Lord. 
And this is particularly striking when we remember that Paul himself has not actually met the Colossian believers. He's never been to Colossae. And yet, their dearly beloved brothers are his dearly beloved brothers. Tychicus and Onesimus. Epaphras, who is one of you, Paul says in verse 12. There is a love that family members have for one another, or at least should have for one another, that runs deeper and is more constant than the love that mere acquaintances have, that co-workers can have, that even the greatest of friends can have for one another. On Thursday night, Mike and I were called to visit a 92-year-old woman in palliative care who's dying of cancer. And when we got there, she wasn't alone. Her family was with her, as they had been with her for days and weeks and months and years, talking to her, reading to her, attending to her needs, whatever they are, being there until the end. The things we do for family. Do you invest in your relationship with fellow believers? If you're a Minchinbury Church member, do you invest in your fellow Minchinbury Anglican members as if they were your brothers and sisters? Would you do for them the things you do for family? If not, if that seems unreasonable to you, let this part of God's word be a gentle rebuke, a gentle challenge. I think especially in this time of forced isolation, though the pattern of our fellowship has changed, the relationship we share with one another simply hasn't. We are sisters and brothers in Christ. And so for that reason, Mike encouraged us this week in E! News, and if you happen to catch the Archbishop's message, the video at the very beginning, he did the same thing. Encouraged us to harness the blessing of technology to continue investing in our spiritual family relationship. Not to rely on the routine of Sunday or existing midweek groups, but to make the effort to contact others, check how they're doing, encourage them, offer to pray for them, to read the Bible with them, you know, via email, via a text, via a video call, or even just the old-fashioned way, actually phoning them, maybe even writing a letter. And Mike rightly encouraged us to make the effort with those we have regular contact with and we're used to and we feel comfortable with and those that we don't have regular contact with. Maybe those in our midst whom we know have chronic illness or disability or struggle with mental illness. This time of isolation would be particularly difficult for them. Or those who are older, living alone without internet access that the rest of us take for granted. If you can't think of anyone like that, let me encourage you to seek them out. Go through the, the member page on Elvanto if you have to. Because as fellow believers, we're family. And these are the things we do for family. We're made in the image of the relational God. He has given us relationships to invest in. And the way we live out our Christian identity, the way we speak to those outside the church and share Jesus with them, the way we relate to and care for those in the Christian community, care for one another, that tells everyone connected to us and everyone connected to our church that people matter. 
relationships matter. No one is too unimportant. No one is too peripheral. Do you value the relationships God has given you? Do you invest in them? Let me encourage you to. It will be to God's glory and our ultimate benefit and the ultimate benefit of many other people if we do. Especially so in our present times. With the great impersonal nature of quarantine and self-isolation and social distancing. In the Prime Minister's press conference on Friday, he commended people for reducing their movements uh, and not having so much physical contact, but he also encouraged people to work just as hard at maintaining contact in other ways. And he delivered this line, he said, we may have to keep our distance, but it doesn't mean we have to disconnect. I like that. It's a good speechwriter's line, I like that. But we may have to keep our distance but it doesn't mean we have to disconnect. As in Paul's circumstances, there are times when physically we cannot be with one another. That doesn't mean we have to disconnect. That line could almost be a summary of Colossians chapter 4. And so may God help us at this time especially to hold out the eternal hope of Christ to our friends and family who haven't yet embraced it, who haven't yet experienced and enjoyed the saving relationship they can have with their creator. May we hold that out with gracious words. And may God help us to build up our sisters and brothers in Christ. Help them to grow to maturity in Christ until God's sovereign work on earth is done. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are the God of relationships. In your very being, you are the God of relationship. And you have made us to be in relationship with you. And we thank you that by the power of the cross, that is possible. And I give you thanks for your work of grace in the lives of all who have turned to Christ. I pray you may grow us more into maturity in Christ. Help us to invest in our relationships with you, with one another. And I do pray for those who don't yet know Jesus. Help us, use us to share his character and his great uh, saving power with them, lovingly, patiently, for Jesus' sake. Amen.